The Queen's Gambit is a miniseries consisting of seven episodes on Netflix. You can stream it now, and we're about to talk about episode one, openings, as well as background to the show. So the first question I want to ask is, did you get a good sense in this introduction episode to what the characters were like and what the themes of the show is about? Yeah, we got a good sense of who the main character was. Her name is Elizabeth Harmon. She's nine years old um, for a majority of the episode, and she's like really good at chess, almost like an obsession. She can like even envision a chessboard and chess pieces on the ceiling and like play out a full game. Mm hmm. What were some of the themes other than that, other well, than chess itself? She gets hooked on tranquilizers. How does a nine-year-old get their hands on tranquilizers? Well, they came in drug forms, like as green drugs. Um, green she, drugs, like pills? Yeah, because okay. she's an orphan, and uh, at this orphanage... How'd um, she become Mr. an orphan? Uh, her mother, Alice, died in a car accident. Do we see that? We see the aftermath of it, but we don't see it actually happen. And I think we see a before flash right beforehand um, because Jolene, who plays Elizabeth's best friend, asks her, the first thing that she asks her is, uh, do you remember what your parents said before uh, you died? And then Elizabeth lies and says she can't remember, but really her mom said, close your eyes. And so that so kind of pretty bleak. Yeah, yeah I read I read one review that called it Dickensian as far as her origin story sets up. But yeah, this is back in the 1950s, 1960s, right? Right. Yeah, we start off in the 1960s where we see her older, about to enter like a big chess match, mm -hmm. but then we see her at, at nine years old. So this obviously takes place in the 50s, maybe late 40s, possibly. Uh, 50s. But did uh, this feel like a real story to you? Did it feel like it could take place in reality, or that it was I, based on a true story? I thought it was based on a true story, but by the end, I saw that it was like a novel apparently that they adapted into a That's TV correct. series. So in 1983, Walter Tevis wrote this novel and it followed chess prodigy Beth Harmon. It deals with themes of feminism, chess, addiction, which you kind of mentioned. Yeah. Um, he died actually a year later after the book was released. The uh -huh. book was well received and it was commended for its technical accuracy of the game itself. Yeah, chess. there was there was a lot of terms that they were using that I was like, yeah, I've, I've heard of that before. Yeah, not chess. only the terms, but were you able to see any matches in this episode? Yeah, you saw bits and pieces of some, but you never got like a full on chess match. Was it like a montage? Yeah, there was a couple montages that took place, and that is really kind of where the show took a turning point for me, because the first 20 minutes I was, like, kind of bored, but once you saw her kind of learn how to play chess and get really, really good at it, that's when it got more interesting. Mm -hmm. So these technical aspects that they were able to put into the production, as well as the book itself, it reminds me a lot of The Martian and how they were very scientific with everything, and they ended up getting praised because even though it was a fictional story it presented in a really realistic fashion for people. So you had like actors like Matt Damon who actually pulled for The Martian to become a film. Well, there were actors who actually pulled for this to become a film earlier on in its career. Oh. <laughs> um, Heath Ledger was actually a huge chess player before he died. Like he won tournaments when he was 10 and he was actually gonna do his directorial debut with Ellen Page attached to play Beth Harmon's character. Do you think that she would have played it differently than the person you saw today? Yeah, they probably would have put more, like, of her growing up into the story. Because do, you do you think this could have been shortened into a movie? Even though you saw the first episode, do you think that the what you saw was only, like, one-seventh of whatever plot is about to it be? It probably told? could have been shortened into a movie. Yeah, there was a times where I felt like I was kind of watching a PBS show. It had the same kind of color tone and, uh, and soundtrack to it, a lot of strings. Well, it's interesting because the color tone has been compared to the Crown series, which is funny because it concerns the Queen, and this is the Queen's Gambit. A, another similarity, which is weird, is 
when we watched the 100 episode, I think the episode was called The Queen's Gambit as well, and yeah. they played a long chess game in that. So I'd be, it'd be funny to compare the two chess games that were going on, because I'm sure this one would have a lot more dramatos, yeah. dra- gravitas in the drama sequences. Yeah, well, I mean, there was even times where she was, like, playing, I think, around, like, 20 students all at once synchronously. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had someone come into my elementary school once, and they kind of did the same thing. They gave us, like, a cafeteria presentation, and then they were, like, eight people set up, and you got to just kind of play them with against eight people at once. Yeah, but this was even, like, more like that. Like, she was nine, and she was facing high schoolers, and, mm-hmm. and that scene was kind of funny because I know it took place in the 50s, and I know sexism was an issue, but, like, she's in this classroom, and then these, like, chess players from the chess team show up, and they're, like, all men, and they're, like, really standoffish and trying to look cool, and I was just like, you guys are part of the chess club. Like, that's not usually the macho crowd. <laughs> Um, it's funny because I know feminism is a very strong, uh, theme in this show. However, the creator of the series said the true cost of genius for me is the single most important theme of the book. Beth has this gift and it is, it takes a piece out of her. There is an enormous burden tied to genius. She has imposter syndrome. And to me, she is her own antagonist. Chess is just the world she moves through. So do, do you see her screwing her own life up in any way besides the addiction? Well, I mean, the addiction is kind of the biggest part. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, in the end, it almost kills her by the end of this episode. Okay, are you left off with a cliffhanger, or do you think that... A you... little bit. I mean, I think it would have been more um, impactful if they didn't show you at the very beginning her, kind of when she was older, because it would have been like, whoa, did they just kill the character off in the first and first episode? Because she ends up getting her hands on a jar full of tranquilizers and just gulps them down by the time it doesn't. And does it help her play chess? Yeah, that's the whole entire point as to why she's doing it. Um, like because the green pills are what is able to make her envision chess and literally play it out in her head. In fact, there's a scene where she plays um, like a beautiful mind. Yeah, but and also uh, that my wife and kids episode, the Mary Poppins episode, where uh, she plays against a really smart kid, but she's able to beat him all in her head. Like she literally is shown beating uh, the custodian who she learns from and uh, the person who she has to impress in order to face all the high schoolers uh beating them now seeing a kid play chess and beating people like chess prodigies right have you ever heard of searching for bobby fisher the movie uh no okay this came out uh 20 years ago or so uh it deals with bobby fisher have you heard of bobby fisher yeah i have yeah he was a famous chess player born in like the 40s but he went insane he like uh became very closed off and paranoid and then he said a lot of anti-semitic things people it, it ruined his career but before that uh, he was like this phenomenal chess player who like a, he had his own Cold War kind of uh, with Russia because Russia had a really good chess player and he was a really good chess player. And there was the match of the century in like <laughs> 1973. Right. Yeah. And so everybody knows who Bobby Fischer is. They made this movie about this kid who basically like learns on the fly. Uh, he plays with people in Central Park and such. And it's it's just funny to see how he goes back and forth. Yeah. And and progresses through the film. Um. The reason I'm bringing it up, besides the fact that this is chess related, is because William Horberg, who is an executive producer on this film, actually, I believe, produced that film. And at the time that he was working on that one, he called him Bruce Pandolfini, who's a famous grand chess master or whatever. A grandmaster, sorry. Uh, And it turns out that that guy was actually the original consultant on the Tevis book as well. Oh, okay. And he actually named the book. So the Queen's Gambit is his name. So they brought him in to kind of like teach 
their actors how to play chess and make sure that what they were filming in this day and age was correct. He actually knew Bobby Fischer, too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of the players, uh, or sorry, the characters in the show didn't know how to play chess coming into it. Like, I think there's a guy named Harry something. Um, he plays one of her friends. Do we meet him in this episode? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, interesting. How about a character named Benny Watts? Uh, no. He wasn't in this episode either? Not at all. Okay, so like the main characters of the show aren't in the episode, probably because this was all background, I'd assume. Yeah, this was 100% background, right, except so for that first two minutes. How about a person named Mr. Shybell? He must be in the episode. Yes, Mr. Shybell okay. is in the episode. It's who, uh, he plays a custodian at the orphanage, and it's he's who... He's a janitor, but he's used to playing a gruff detective. Like, he's from the Night Of and Joker, and I guess he's just got demoted. He, he kind of, Well, he kind of was like that. Like, at very first, Elizabeth wants to learn the game, and then he doesn't even, like, he's like, no, I don't play with girls. Like, girls don't learn chess, but she ends up, like, having to go down there every single day because she has to end up drying the erasers, which was a little weird that she kept on having to do it um, because the teacher was, one day saw that she was done with her test super early and was like, I need you to go dry them off. And then she did it repeatedly. But even though she he wasn't teaching her, she mm -hmm. ended up learning the move so much that... Who was um, he playing with? himself oh okay. yeah so he was like that old man in the disney cartoon exactly but by the very end she's like i know most of the pieces moves like i know the horse moves here 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 and then he was like okay we can play a game and then from there on out you see her like kind of expand into this genius chess player yeah a prodigy it's funny because you probably just saw isla johnston that's the person who played beth Harmon as a kid for most of this episode and most of the stuff my research at least and all the interviews and stuff is all concentrating on people i guess who come along later even the main character yeah so you you did recognize the main character right like when she appeared at the beginning i guess no yeah it was the beginning uh she looked very familiar but i didn't recognize my name that's anya taylor joy Oh, really? That's, that's strange. Yeah, yeah, she's pretty famous. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I know who she is. So it's funny because she's very well known for being in period pieces as well as horror and thrillers. Yeah, I mean, I think she's best known for The Witch. Yeah, and I want to say, like, her career, I get her confused with Haley Steinfeld a lot. Mm -hmm. She's 24 and Haley Steinfeld is 23. Um, and Haley Steinfeld is in that Apple series that yeah. is based on Emily Dickinson. So she also does uh, period pieces as well. Right, yeah. um, and she's leading her own TV show. That's in the 1850s. Um, Anna Taylor-Joy just came from a movie called Emma, which is based oh, off remember, of yeah. Jane Austen's Emma Woodhouse. And that's from the early 1800s. I think that came out in February. But yeah. yeah. And then as far as career trajectory is concerned, if you look at Jennifer Lawrence's career, she started off in a independent uh, drama, Winter's Bone, right? Yeah, right. And as you said, The Witch is also an independent film. And they were both in uh, the Marvel Universe, in yeah. a sense. Uh, <laughs> First of, Class versus it. New Mutants. So yeah. maybe she's following in that era. And that's not a... Bad, no, I was just saying it's, it's funny how they both were in X-Men, but yeah. like obviously different. Like, And technically, like Lawrence was in The Hunger Games when she first started, right. and uh, Anna Taylor-Joy is in the Unbreakable series. Right, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's clearly just parallel of the two. They're the same person. <laughs> um, no, she's also been in Peaky Blinders, Radioactive. Like, she's playing anybody who's under 25 to shame at this yeah, point. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, but she also loved the book. She read the book, and there wasn't even a script attached. She knew who was uh, creating the show, and she was basically like, I'm in. Did she um, work with the person who was creating the show before? 
Uh, no, not she didn't. But other actors and you mentioned the sound uh, track or the score right, yeah. person. They definitely worked with them before. Uh, yeah, because that that fit in really well. Like, I mean, it may have been a little bit too. I guess it's kind of weird. Some you said music, violence, but verbose. Right? Yeah, it might have been too verbose at times. But like for the most part, it fit pretty well. Yeah. Well, Beth Harmon as a character, she said, felt very lonely and alienated. Because, again, you were talking about how she wasn't even accepted as a chess person at right. first because yeah. she was a girl. Um, and she connected with the fact that uh, it's easy to become lonely and alienated in whatever field. And that's why she went into the movie to business to begin with. Yeah. Or the art, the art business. <laughs> um, but, again, you didn't really see much of her in this episode. Then you saw Isla Johnston. The she, direct- was, she was almost sorry. She was almost in every single scene. So yeah, she did. She did a pretty good job, especially the as kid? a child actor. Yeah. Yeah. So th- did it look like her? I mean, yeah, for the most part. Okay. So Scott Frank, do you know that name? No. He's written screenplays for like Get Shorty the movie, Minority Report. Ah, okay. But you probably know him more for his most recent things, and I'm talking about he wrote uh, Logan. Oh, okay. Yeah. He so he's also in the Marvel universe. <laughs> Um, he created and basically, I think, directed and wrote every episode of Godless. Oh, and no, I was going to say that. I was going to say go. this episode is very much like, you know how Godless could be kind of slow, but had interesting scenes mm-hmm. and action. Also feminist messaging. Right. It. And, yeah. But the action kind of put it over the top. Yeah. This, I was going to say, this reminds me a lot of Godless just without the action because you had interesting scenes, but it was very like kind of drawn out. I think Godless was also seven episodes, right? Uh, around there seven or eight yeah yeah and, and it was also around the same time constraints like an hour or so mm-hmm. so yeah and so the person who did uh the score on godless also did the score on this and that makes complete sense yeah so they worked together yeah uh he also directed and i found this funny because we've seen the episode of shameless in the first season it's time to kill the turtle he directed and wrote that episode. oh yeah i love that that's episode, the yeah. only episode that he wrote and directed or he was even in shameless for <laughs> yeah so he's he's a good he's got a lot of acclaim to his name <laughs> right and also those tones it sounded like the cast had an enormous amount of respect for him yeah and i was just gonna say the tones of those shows definitely like fit into here this was like a dark show and it was just so strange to see like that with an orphanage it just didn't it 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 meshed well but it was just when i read orphanage i thought well this is in the past and we have like an angry or not angry but someone who's mean to her so is it like annie or is it like a little princess like those old yeah i mean basically for the most part Mm -hmm. uh they also forgive scott frank for ever making wolverine because he was also (laughs) responsible for that um well with logan i mean that's kind of his apology so so Beth's character is supposed to be this prickly savant, introspective, like this is supposed to be a coming of age story. How much besides do you see her age in this first no, episode? No, you really don't. Like, oh, you, damn. You, okay. like this you, really, really throws off my question. Like questions. you get a couple yeah. months, but for the most part, it's just basically her learning chess and kind of just being in this orphanage that's very strict, I guess you could say. Yeah. It's funny because um, in an interview, I heard that Anna Taylor-Joy said that Scott asked her in the first, like, before they started filming uh how young she could play and she was like not eight man you're gonna have <laughs> yeah. to cast someone else for that um and so she played beth from like 15 to whatever age she ends up in the show 
Um, again, it's Mad Men era. So we're in the middle of the Cold War 60s, and this is a one-off season. Like, they're not going to do any more than this. I was going to say, there's not really much, like, story that I could see going into, like, extra seasons. Yeah, it's well, just kind of like a one basis thing. Well, some of the criticism has been, and this was about the show in general, so just know going in, is that it was too long and it actually could have been a movie. Um, uh, not as many people criticize the plot points because they think that the actors themselves outdo themselves. And they, yeah, they really, do. really, really like Anya Taylor mm-hmm. um, because they say that her face is just so expressive. And I know her eyeballs, they're like pure, like dark yeah, and I think that part of the reason they were probably able to get her was because it was only like a one season thing. Uh, maybe she came off two movies to do this. So I know oh, that okay. she was really busy and then now she's in like lockdown COVID type yeah. things. So. And she does have a bunch of projects coming up, period pieces, like one in the 10th century. And then I think wow. there's a project <laughs> um, where she's playing someone who gets blasted into like 1960s, but it's like a uh, thriller. I don't know. Sounds like a comedy, yeah. It's no, it's not, a comedy, it's not a comedy. Yeah, it's not a comedy. Go it's ahead. almost like she's typecast, I was just going to say. Maybe, but she's been compared, this character at least, to uh, Jodie Comer Villanelle in the Killing Eve series, mm-hmm. partially because of how much she likes clothes and fashion. Did we see any of that in her younger years? I mean, well, at the very beginning of the episode, you see like that she gets new clothes and she gets like a haircut, and like she looks kind of different from what she did like in the first scene. Not what? the first scene we see the older one in, but the younger. One. Does she have a different color hair in this, I think? Uh, like, in terms of... Like, it's red, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah and usually she has, like, black hair. And yeah. I think in The Witch, she was blonde or whatever. Uh, does she get adopted in this episode? No, she doesn't. Damn it! No, I'm sorry for giving that away. <laughs> I... She gets adopted, and without giving too many spoilers, the person who adopts her's name uh, in real life is Mary Heller. She was in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. She's a well-known director. She's married to Yorma from The Lonely Island. <laughs> Uh, and so she got a lot of acclaim for her role as well. We won't go into it. I thought, I thought that if this wasn't going to be a true story, which it doesn't sound like it is, that the, who was going to end up adopting her was uh, Mr. Scheibel, because it just seemed like it was oh. going <laughs> that way. But yeah, I'm glad that the they decided to yeah, switch it. Yeah, I know they keep doing backflashes, but it would be strange if Scheibel became a bigger yeah, character. It, it was just one of those things where like you saw their, I guess, friendship grow, even though Mr. Scheibel was kind of like closed off a little bit. Well, she's closed off too, right? Yeah. Like, we're supposed to see her growth, and she's supposed to be sort of, um, like, house in a way. Where yeah, she's no, super very, smart, but, yeah, go ahead. Very, I was just going to say very much so. In fact, I would even compare her, obviously, less intellect than Sherlock, but kind of in the same vein, where it's like, she doesn't... She, she's an anti-hero of sorts. Like, she's not the direct feminist who's perfect in every way. They've said this in interviews, and they right, tried to, yeah. like, hype it up as if it was, like, this big new thing. Mm-hmm. But it's actually something that's very common right, in yeah. today's world. It's just they're doing it with a female character. Yeah, and I think that you were supposed to kind of get that anti-hero vibe by the end when she was, like, picking the locks to try and get to the tranquilizers, which didn't make sense because she showed a lot throughout the episode that she cared about the tranquilizers. You could like say she, she cared like she didn't like them? No, like she loved them. Oh, like she loved like them. Like she okay. was she even explained to Jolene who taught her not to take them when they should because it like had this weird effect on them. Uh-huh. Um she taught her to like keep some and she was even explaining to Jolene later on in the episode that she she just sometimes doesn't take them for days and then takes multiple at a time and Sounds there's like mo- someone with like a real oxy yeah. problem or something. And, and <laughs> she was taking multiple at a time but like again you were able to see the way that her mind was able to like process it i guess and that's how she was able to keep so much concentration when she was uh playing the chess games and do you think that that'll affect her later on in her life because oh yeah i'd assume they're setting up for some dramatic i mean by the end she 
ends up getting this full box, uh, I think I explained, of the tranquilizers, but she's so, like, out of it by the end, and, like, yeah, and her heart, I'm sure, is, like, not being able to process it, that she drops the um, jar in front of, like, everyone, and you see that she's, like, completely out of it, and she falls to the ground Mm -hmm. and closes her eyes. But she's still winning at chess. Like, she's doing this (laughs) all while, like, beating a game of chess against the One connection I did, like, was, I explained earlier on, we saw the mom say, um, the last thing she said was, uh, close your eyes, and at the end of the episode, she falls to the ground after taking so many of these things, basically overdosing, and then she closes her eyes, and the last thing she says is, mom or mommy or something oh, like that that's, so yeah, that's sad. so i was like yeah that, it, it's definitely sad it worked it was I'd also it's just a, direct, a cool connection yeah it's a direction or by the director like yeah. i think scott whatever did did that right yeah. yeah um sorry last thing about anda taylor joy about her future roles but she's been tapped by the director of one of the originals of these things and i just wanted to know whether you were going to guess um what her future role was going to be here uh, she's either going to play a young Sigourney Weaver, Weaver in a Alien prequel. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Or she's going to play young Kathy Bates in a Misery prequel. Or she's going to play uh, Neve Campbell's character, the main character from the Scream ma- remake. Not the TV show, but the movie the, the remake. Movie, yeah. uh, or she's going to play a young Charlize Theron in the Mad Max prequel. See, the thing is, I think I don't think it's about what she's going to play. I think it's what's the most likely out of those four options. I'm saying the director of the original films tapped her. Said, like, okay. she is the person I want to play the young version here. I can't see Scream doing it. I believe Mad Max are already going to kind of do with Tom Hardy, and I think they're going to keep Furiosa. Um, what were the other two? The other two were um, Alien, Alien and Misery, the horror film. I It could be Alien and Misery, but I'm going to go with Misery. Nope. It's actually the Thar- Charlize Theron movie. Oh, like really? I thought that they She's were going, going to, to be doing the prequel. I it. thought they were going to be making a second one, though. So, like, with her in it, so... Don't take my word for it, but I actually think that she's going to be the main role in a different Mad Max film that they're doing. Wow, so they're really cashing in on that then? <laughs> I don't know if it's a cash grab, but I think that she's got a big career ahead of her, um, along with the other actresses that I was talking about. Uh, let's see. What else do we want to say here? There's so many other characters. Like, there are other godless people who show up in this series but i can't really give too much away about them i will say that the person who the adoptive mother who i've already mentioned yeah she couldn't play the piano before this role and so she actually had to take lessons to learn how to fake piano and how to, I know, how to fake piano I thought yeah that's what that. most people do most people don't go in and actually learn to play the piano i, I know ryan I know. gosling like did it for four months for la la land he yeah. didn't actually learn it though did he i think he did yeah okay well i'm sure he also learned how to fake some of it and then the guy who played in ray Jamie Foxx, I know that he was under the tutelage of Ray Charles for a little bit once he got the role, because I think he impressed him to become that character by oh, playing one of his songs for him. If I remember the story correctly, that was like, I don't know, 15 years ago? Yeah, that more? No, that was more. <laughs> um, something else I was impressed by was the setting of the show. So I'm not sure where the first episode takes place. I think it's Kentucky. Uh, yeah. I think that's where the orphanage is. And then I think like it goes all over the world. Um, but they only shoot on one location and that's in Berlin and it's with the same production unit and the same production guy who actually, um, shot Babylon Berlin, which I know that is an expansive world he created because when I saw that show, I was just mystified as to how they were able to make something like on a budget that looked so it like they look like they had created Amsterdam or something. Yeah, I remember I saw the pilot to um, Babylon Berlin and it was very expansive. This, however, doesn't have like a lot of sayings to it. The only thing I can think outside of the orphanage 
was, I think it um, gets bigger. It probably but yeah. It was the high school scene where she's in the high school, and also a scene in which we get a flashback to, we see her mom, and we see that the mom is just absolutely crazy. Yeah, I remember but. you brought up the high schoolers earlier, and you were talking about them being sort of jockish. And I understood your point to be that chess players aren't really jocks, but I do know that people in that community can get very pompous and proud of themselves. Yeah. And there's even been that movement on Twitch to kind of get chess to be out there again as one of the big <laughs> games. And there have been some grandmasters who've come out against it and, like, gone after some other Twitch players. That's strange, yeah. For, for, well, not really strange. It's just going to show that, like, it's an old sport that some old people can can sometimes become curmudgeon about. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah. that's what I'm saying, because, like... As of now, obviously, if that were to happen, it'd come across as a little cheesy. Well, I'm saying it is, it's happening now, but it's not happening to women. It's happening to kind of just the younger generation playing it through a different medium like Twitch. And so it's, it's taking, I understand, like an older argument and applying it to today. That's all I was doing. At the beginning of the uh, episode, she kind of, it seems like the person that she was facing was kind of one of those old people. They had like a very pompous look to them. When Anya was the one who was playing. Yeah, she's, I think you got a flash to probably the ultimate showdown that she has and the ultimate villain character who is just another chess player who's equivalent to the match of the century. Yeah. uh, Probably Russian. And, uh, yeah, there's not much when, more to say well, than that. Besides, he's just a stuffy dude. Yeah, but it was it was obviously a big deal. Because when she walked through the door, like, she got a ton of, like, photo- photographs taken of her. And, like... Yeah. <laughs> what I did learn about the series is that um, as it goes on and as she... By the time that she's that age, people have taken her seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, it's no longer like, oh, we're going to underestimate her right. because of the way yeah. she looks. Um, so the series has really good reviews so far 100 percent on Rotten tomatoes both audience score and critic score that's oh, wow. bound to change yeah. but uh it has been thought of to be in the award category yeah i was gonna say this stuff you know there's oscar bait and sometimes oscar bait is used as a bad thing like oh it's not going to be nominated this felt like it was going it was definitely going for an emmy awards yeah type it of thing. currently has an 8.7 on imdb take that with a grain of salt and then you have an 8.9 for this episode and I think that some of that claim is due to the writing because they did have some um, funny dark humor in there. Like after she beats Mr. Gons, who is the head of the chess team, Mr. Gons wants to take a picture so they just kind of have like a reference for her. And um, he's like, okay, now we stand next to Mr. Shyboy speaking to Elizabeth. And then like they take a picture and both of them are just like incredibly like not into it. <laughs> I found that funny. Um, there was also a scene in which Elizabeth after... Though, sorry, her face, at least for the older version of her, kind of is deadpan always. Like, yeah, you never I, really see it being super happy. Yeah, no, that that is true. Okay, um, go ahead. but yeah. there was also another funny scene where um it was at the very beginning where Mr. Scheibel teaches Elizabeth that um he takes her queen and he's like you're done now like the game's over you once I take your queen like you're not going to be able to beat me and she's really mad by that and Elizabeth calls him a cocksucker but she doesn't know what that means and the only reason why she called him that was because um he she heard Jolene say that at the very beginning of the episode <laughs> so he turns obviously around. not in front of like one of the important no, people it, it was it, well oh. it was in front of mr ferguson kind of the evil caretaker villain guy okay, yeah. um but yeah so he turns around and he's like get out and then for the next couple of um like days you can see this montage of her trying to open the door to where the uh, underground place where she goes is and it's locked you mean the basement yeah, yeah. the basement okay. and it's locked and then like after a certain while he unlocks it again but that was a funny scene as well so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i'd imagine do you feel that you 
could watch this series and then become better at chess for watching it? No, not really. Unless they were to do like a like more in depth because you so didn't you see that really, much of the games. You don't teach. You're not taught too much. No, I mean they teach you again different vocabulary things. Like the reason why this episode is called openings is because that's what Mr. Scheibel refers to. Um, the first kind of moves. The, yeah, right? the first moves. Yeah. Well, yeah, and just so you learn different vocabulary terms, but you don't actually learn anything about chess itself unless you don't know the move patterns. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean that's somewhere to start if you're brand new to it. Yeah. Uh, will you be watching any more episodes? Do you think? Uh, I mean, it really depends. Uh, I I think that with all the like entertainment that's out there right now, it's not my go-to thing. But I could see Why myself not? going back to it later. Cause like I mean, even though Is I it hard to sit through. No, it's not like upsetting or anything. It's just more like it is a slow burn. Remember, though, you haven't met most of the cast. Like, you've watched the background episode. Oh, yeah. And there I... is also flashbacks later on in the other episodes, but not nearly to the extent it's in this first one. I actually, I forgot that, yeah, I know this actually deals with kind of a flash forward. So in that instance, yeah, I am kind of interested to see where the episodes go. Because, like, now that you got the, like, main character pretty well, like, introduced, I am interested to see, like, kind of where the drug addiction takes her and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like the opposite of the Goldfinch thing where this should turn out better <laughs> like, yeah. in, in review-wise uh, and it shouldn't be as boring. Apparently, people are really like impressed that they could make chess that entertaining or encapturing like to keep your your, your well I'm, I'm sure if they like have later episodes where it's just like a full-on chess match it, uh, that'd it is, be cool but it was literally they were giving like props to um anya taylor's like the way she moved her eyebrows <laughs> <laughs> she did say that she was very connected to the character to the point where she was just sort of playing herself at certain times so that's why she was able to do it so well yeah but still like it's i mean well, that's a weird thing to give credit for <laughs> i was gonna say that like this is this is better 100 but it kind of reminded me of one tree hill basketball games where it's like whenever a basketball game came on one tree hill they actually did make it look pretty cool at least in uh, the first like, season and obviously it's different but i like the chess games kind of were the same way where it's like something that you wouldn't see as that entertaining especially when it's just a lot of people like looking at a board they were able to make better than you would think they would yeah I think that's a good place to end it for our first review of this series. I think it's probably going to be our only review of the series (laughs) since it's not going to get another season. Um, But I hope you guys enjoyed it. And thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.